0: As I was preparing for today, I inquired of the Lord what he would like me to speak about. And he gave me a really simple instruction. He said, talk about who I am. And I was like, well, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, that's great. I'd love to do that. But we've only got, like, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. And so how do we pack the essence of who God is into such a short period of time And I don't know if you ever listen to the radio, but usually financial institutions have to include disclosures at the end of their ad. And they talk really fast. And I thought maybe if I had something like that, maybe I could really do him justice. But since I don't, um, I'm going to share just a few things about him. And hopefully it will whet our appetite to continue and to look at him more closely. I've been a Christian for over 41 years, and in that time, I've noticed that I had these seasons, and in, in the seasons that are good, um, as I read the Word, it is alive, and it jumps off the page, and I have even had times where I felt electrical current as I read words, and, and that was a little alarming, that was a little scary, but, but I've had these vibrant, exhilarating moments in the Word that were life-changing. As I listen to preaching and testimonies, I hear things that are so profound that in those moments I make changes in my walk with the Lord. I make changes for my life. I hear words so powerful that I make decisions that affect me for years to come. I have experiences in prayer when I feel like I'm touching the heart of God and I'm hearing his voice. And I even have opportunities where I can declare the things over people and situations that I believe He has given to me, and then I watch them unfold as He answers those prayers that He directed. And when I'm in worship, I have these moments where the presence of the Lord is so amazing, it's transformative. I have moments where I get healed from physical issues. I get moments where I can feel stress lift off me. I have moments where I feel delivered from things. I have moments where I go, oh, wow, thanks, God, that was good, <laughs> as I feel the stress of life leaving. I've had moments where he, where he gives me direction for my life, moments where he answers questions I haven't even asked. Moments where I have problems at work, and he'll tell me, this is how you solve that. And they're usually, like, right there in front of me, and I couldn't see them. I've had moments that are so beautiful that, that I could smell the very fragrance of heaven. And I don't even know how to describe that. It was, it's the most unusual fragrance I've ever experienced. In our home, we have had um, experiences where, um, for a while, Dale and I, for many years, we didn't work the same shift. And so as I was um, leaving for work, he was coming home. But we would worship individually and have experiences by ourselves with the Lord. And one night we were worshiping together, and I was walking across one part of my living room and my knees buckled. And that was a common occurrence. It's like the angel of the Lord was positioned in that spot in our living room. And I mentioned it to Dale. I said, have you ever noticed the the anointing that's right here? And he said, yeah, I notice it every time I'm worshiping and I walk by that spot. It's like the angel of the Lord camps in our living room as we're worshiping him. And those are the good seasons. They're great and they're full of light and full of life. But I also have the contrast. And I have seasons in which I read the word and I fall asleep. I have these seasons where I hear testimonies and it feels like those words bounce off my heart. Can't even touch my heart. It's just so hardened and cold in that moment. I have seasons when I pray to God, it feels like I'm reading him my grocery list. And I have moments in worship where it feels as if my praise raises up and hits that ceiling and drops right back to the floor. And I have to ask myself, why am I experiencing such contrast? It's usually not due, at least in my life, it's usually not due to a physical health problem. It's usually not due to a financial problem. What I most commonly find is that it results from being in a really good season, and then resting in that and not continuing to move forward. And it's as if I get bored with the Lord. We're not supposed to use words like that, but it it feels like I get bored with the Lord. And the reality is that I'm not bored with Him. What I'm bored with is my perception. I'm bored with my understanding of the word that hasn't continued to grow. I'm bored with my understanding or whatever that last testimony was. Well, I've rehearsed it enough times. I've shared it enough times. And yet I need to continue on and move forward. We talk a lot about let it be, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. There's no boredom in heaven. They're not, they're not still rehearsing their last testimonies because they are still looking at how gorgeous and beautiful and amazing and holy and righteous and powerful he is. There's no casual attitude towards God in heaven. There's no boredom with him. Our lack of perception can be greater than our actual understanding of who he is. Let me say it again. Our lack of understanding, our lack of perception can be greater than what we do know of him. And so our assignment is to continue to move forward. Continue forward always. Continue moving forward. Because the moment we stop, in reality, we will start going backwards. And so we've been talking about how to worship, when to worship, why to worship. We've been talking about how we should worship. And really, we just need to look at him, and we will worship. We just need to look at him. We just need to see him. Nehemiah wrote in uh, chapter 9 of Nehemiah, he wrote, You alone are God. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bow down before you. The heavenly host continually bow down before him because they see him. He said, You have made the heavens, the heavens and all their host. When we look at Psalm 19, David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his handiwork. In that statement, David was saying, Whether you're walking with God or not, all you have to do is look in the heavens and you can see his glory. All you have to do is look on the earth, and you can see his handiwork. You can see what he has created. In the heavens, I did a little bit of research in the last couple of weeks. In the heavens, astronomers have figured out there's no edge of the universe, and because there's no edge, there's no center. So for those of you who think the universe is revolving around you... Astronomers have figured out there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches on the earth. There are more stars in the universe. They say there are, let me see how many it is, a billion trillion stars in the heavens. And he created them. He did that. He did that. The heavens declare his glory And we're looking at his glory every time we look in the skies. If we come down to earth, David wrote that the earth shows his handiwork. And we don't even have to be a Christian to see it. The earth shows his handiwork. On the earth, 70% of the earth's surface is covered in water. 70%. Of that, uh, most of our plant life is in the ocean. 85% of the plant life on Earth is in the ocean. So when we're hearing there's a food shortage out there, there isn't really. 85% is in the ocean. As oceanographers and scientists look in the ocean, they have figured that we've only cataloged about 9% of the species that are in the ocean, which means 91% of them we have not discovered or categorized what they are we haven't identified them again there's no food shortage it's out there the deepest known area in the earth's ocean is seven miles deep that is about 35,000 37,000 feet to get a to get an idea of what that looks like when we look up in the sky And if we see a jetliner up there, don't they fly it like 35,000 feet? That's how deep the deepest part of the ocean is. And our God did that. The earth shows his handiwork. It's everywhere we look. As we start looking at different life forms on land, and it doesn't matter if we're looking at at land or in the ocean, and, and as we come in close, A single strand of DNA is thousands of times thinner than a single human hair. We hear about DNA all the time now. It's it's used all the time in courts for the last 35 years. But if you put all the DNA molecules in your body together, if you lined them up end to end, your DNA would reach from the earth to the sun and back 600 million times. God did that. God did that. And as I look at the heavens and earth, as I look at who we are, all of a sudden Psalm 139 starts to become a little bit more understandable. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wing of the morning, or if I dwell into the uttermost parts of the sea, Your hand will lead me and you will guide me. He goes on and he says, and I always have to look this one up because I never say it correctly. He goes on and he says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God did that. All we have to do is look and see. God did that. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And as amazing and majestic as he is, he is also a very personal God. And he wants relationship with us. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, as God revealed himself to Abraham and entered into covenant with him, he was always known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for generations, that's how they knew him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they understood just seeing the multiplication of generations from Abraham down to the time of the Exodus, they could see that Abraham's seed would perpetuate forever. And they understood that God was an eternal God just by that designation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when Moses met God, and as God gave him his assignment, Moses asked him, what is your name? And that was a natural question for him to ask in that time because Moses had grown up in Egypt where every one of their gods had a name. He then went to Midian where they worshiped pagan gods. All the gods had a name. And so when he asked him, what is your name, it was a very logical question. And in that moment, God said, I am who I am. And as he shared that, because of what that word means in Hebrew, they understood that it meant that not only is God eternal, but he's right now and he's close by. And he's active in their lives. And he continued to demonstrate that to them over generations. If we fast forward through thousands of years and we get to the gospels and now we're looking at Jesus, And scripture tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. It tells us that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And Jesus actually said that he was God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He said, I am the bread. In chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Same chapter, verse 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He told them he was God. He told them that. They may not have been able to understand it, but he told them. In chapter 10, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He also said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He made it really clear, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father, which is why every time I read the Gospel of John, I fall in love with Jesus all over again (laughs) because he's representing the Father to us. As we worship the Lord, we have to look at at Him in His throne room. We can't talk about who He is without looking at the throne room. And in Heaven's throne room, in Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, He talks about how He was um, He saw the Lord seated on the throne, and how the train of His robe was filling the temple. And I've heard teaching that the train of his robe didn't fill the temple. It was filling the temple. What is that? Present perfect tense? It continuously fills the temple because there's no end to God. And he talks about beings that are, that are above the throne and how they are calling out and they are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I think about that, and it's like, could you imagine spending eternity, past, and future, and that's all you say? is holy, holy, holy as the Lord? And in our humanity, we think, that could get boring. I could phone that in. We just think, really? That's all I'm going to do? For, that's all I was created for, really? And yet they said it with such conviction and such power and such anointing that Isaiah said the foundations of the thresholds trembled at that voice. We see that story or that that vision retold by John in the book of Revelation. And there he talks about those beings that are flying above the throne. And he talks about how they have eyes inside and out. And they're covered. They have six wings. And he says the eyes are on the inside and outside of their wings. And they're not peacock eyes. They're not an illusion of eyes. They're actual eyes. And so every eye is on him. Can you imagine what that would be like? Scripture says in the Old Testament that we couldn't look on God and live. And yet these beings are full of eyes and they're taking in Everything, with all of those eyes, they're taking in everything that he is. They had to be specifically created to withstand that level of glory. Because I don't think we, in in our human form, could stand that. They cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And there's no boredom there. There's no casual attitude because they're seeing him for who he is. And that's what we need to ask the Lord to do is show us who he is. We need to ask him to show us who he is as our healer and who he is as our deliverer. Who is he as our teacher? We need to ask him to show us that we would respond appropriately When we worship him, we're supposed to worship him for who he is and not what he's done. And yet it's because of what he's done that we're able to see who he is. And if we just look at our own human relationships, are there people in your life that you can look at and you can say, you know, he's really a man of integrity. I've seen him when times are really awful. And he responded in a righteous manner. And if we hear something bad about that person, we'll say, no, that's not the man I know. At the same time, we'll know someone and it's like, no, he's kind of a scoundrel. That's his character. He has not been, um, he has not been redeemed. We're known by our character. But our character is known because of what we do. And so as we look at him, we can look at what he has done, whether it is in the heavens, on the earth. We can look at what he's done in our own life and in the lives of others. And we can see who he is because of that. And that's our launching point. That's where we start. If we're having a hard time in worship, I can go to him and I can say, okay, I'm just going to thank you for what you did this week and start talking about it. And Oh, God, that was so big. That was so amazing. And his anointing comes and he wants to then have time with us, to share with us, to have that personal and private relationship with us. I've heard that there are I think it's hundred and twenty names of God in scripture and I'm one of those that doesn't want to go google that I just want to discover it all on my own I just want to enjoy the journey and discover all those names and so right now I think I've collected maybe 65 of them but I know there's more and every once in a while I run across one and oh I need to add that to the list and I keep the list and I just keep adding names to it and rejoicing because now I know him in yet another way. But I wanted to share just a few of the names of God and a few of the references that we have for him. And and this is the last part of what I'm gonna share today. Some of my favorite names of God are Almighty God. Almighty, almighty, he has all might. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Ancient of Days. I worship him because he's my deliverer. I call him El Shaddai, the King of Kings, the King of Glory, and the Lord of Lords. I call him my, um, the Father to the Fatherless. I love that expression, the Father to the Fatherless. When my parents, when my father in particular passed away, it's like, oh, Lord, I don't have a father anymore, but it's really a great thing that I have you because you are my father and you were all along. He's the rock of ages and a strong tower. Scripture talks about how we run to his strong tower. Jesus is the anointed one, the author and finisher of our faith, He's the bridegroom. He sends us the comforter. Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. He goes by the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is faithful and true. He's the good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's the guardian of our soul. Jesus is the lamb of God. He's the light of the world. Jesus is the lover of my soul. He's the lover of your soul. He's watching out for you. He's protecting you. He's got your back. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's our shield, the Prince of Peace. Peace, isn't, peace is not a lack of war. Peace is an internal condition in our heart. And he's the Prince of Peace. He's the rod of Jesse. And he's the truth, the way, and the life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship the one who reconciled us to the Father. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship the God Most High. We worship Yahweh. And so I invite you to go into your prayer closet and start worshiping him for who he is. Go into your prayer closet and start thanking him for what he's done and worship him for who he is. And in those moments, if we will... If we will go to him with a right heart, we will have those amazing revelations of who he is. Paul wrote in Ephesians, and we quote this scripture a lot here because it's a favorite. (laughs) Paul wrote that I pray that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's not just talking about knowing his resume. He's talking about having an intimate and thorough knowledge of him and knowing his character and knowing his heart and that's what he wants for us and that's what we want for ourselves with him